Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Dr. Thomas Williams, a 2018 visiting research fellow at the Center for Ethics and Culture at Notre Dame University. Dr. Williams has written widely on theology, philosophy, ethics, and spirituality. And he has a new book out that we're going to talk about today, The Coming Christian Persecution, Why Things Are Getting Worse, and How to Prepare for What Is to Come. And Dr. Williams, thanks for joining us today. It is such a pleasure, Deacon Jeff. Thanks so much for having me on your show. So, you know, it really was an eye-opener when you start your book. You know there's persecution going on, but you kind of lay out where and how often. You don't realize how much persecution on Christians there really is in the world until you really see it written in front of you. Well, this is, you know, one of the main uh, motives for me writing the book was precisely that, because I was, you know, covering this for news organizations. I was seeing this more and more, but I was kind of distraught at the fact that major, uh, major news outlets simply don't cover it. And so a lot of people don't know the extent um, and the vehemence of the problem. And, and I think that that's, that's part of the problem in itself. This is happening, but we're often unaware of, of how pervasive the problem is. And that's something I think needs correcting. Well, and, you know, I just, you know, just within the last few weeks after your book has, you know, been published and ready to, you know, in print, you know, we see the bishop in Nicaragua, right, put in prison. And I saw yesterday, anybody who even tweets about it or has any social media contact about what's going on, they are subject to the authority. So it, it's happening and it's and it's and it's even more emboldened, it seems. It does. Um, and I think that it's emboldened in part because in the West and the West, obviously, the post-Christian West, if you will, was always kind of the bastion of defense uh, of Christians throughout the world. And there's been kind of an abdication, I think, in the West where we're seeing in countries like our own in the United States, where there's more and more suspicion of Christians, that, that the West is actually becoming part of the problem rather than part of the solution for Christian persecution, where Christians are looked upon as bigots or looked upon as intolerant uh, because of certain moral beliefs or because of the stand that we take in public life. And that's something that's made it harder and harder for Christians, both at home and abroad. Well, we have, you know, we have people in power that, you know, want this, you know, authoritarian type government. And and as you point out in your book, in, in all these different countries, you know, where there's communism, socialism, you know, they faith becomes an enemy to them because they want the ultimate power. They want to be the God. And when they see that as a rival, they got to try to eliminate that. Although we know they won't be successful. It doesn't stop them from trying, does it? No, that's exactly the case. And as you know, I mean, that's really kind of the thread that runs through all these different drivers of Christian persecution, because they seem so diverse, they seem so different. And yet there is that common thread that there can be no one but the state, or there can be no one but 
in the case of Hindu nationalism, for example, in, in, in the case of India, or there can be nothing but this radical secularism that is becoming more and more pervasive in the West. There, it, it's always a totalitarian form, whatever it, whether it's, it's governmental or whether it's just ideological and social, but it always is something about God and religion are the enemy because they undermine people's allegiance where we want them to have it. Well, you know, it's disappointing even, you know, when we look at the Vatican's secret deal with China, right? When China does all these abuses, they never come out and say anything because they have this deal. And it makes, you know, those, the faithful, really kind of disgusted when we see this deal going on where the communist regime can actually pick bishops or have a say in bishops who are picked. When we're, you know, it's hard to do a deal with the devil. And that's kind of what it feels like the church has done with its deal with China. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I mentioned it. I try to be you know, discreet about the way I, I put that in the book. But that is exactly the case. I think people feel very, very uh, betrayed, honestly, uh, that the Vatican has not taken a stronger stand. I mean, this is kind of what we do, right? We stand up for the persecuted. We stand up for the underground church, for example, in China for so many years. The only reason they could survive was they had the support of Rome because Rome completely had their backs. And now I think a lot of people in the underground church in China and, and to a lesser extent in North Korea, they feel like the Vatican, the Vatican no longer has their backs. And this happened also, um, I guess it's just a, a, a logical extension of it, but in Hong Kong with the pro-democracy uh, protests and things where there was no support at all from the Vatican uh, when China moved to clamp down harder and harder uh, in Hong Kong. We just got nothing um, out of the Vatican. That was It's very disappointing when you don't, don't have a good, strong voice really backing up our persecuted brothers and sisters. And I would think Cardinal Zen would, uh, would uh, agree with that in spades because, you know, he's basically on trial in Hong Kong because of his stance. And, you know, it's, it, it is sad to see it because we know persecution's coming. It's been part of the history of the church from the very beginning. But you would like to think the church would stand above that and would be the voice against that. And unfortunately, in in some instances, it's not. And it, it, it can be disappointing. But I, you know, I really enjoyed the book when it goes through not only where the persecutions are, but you talk about, you know, the different types of persecutions. And you remind us that this has been going on from the beginning. So for us to sit and whine about it, when people were fed to lions and treated horribly back in, you know, the Roman Empire, we we really have uh, the blood of those martyrs to stand on to be strong in our own persecution. That is so, that is so true, and I, I think that history, that historical aspect to it, is so important for us to remember that we are a church of martyrs, and I think that in moments of history when we don't feel that so so directly, we can forget it. Uh, but it is, it's a fact. It's been part of our history from the very beginning. It's something that Jesus said would always accompany believers. And it's something that it shouldn't surprise us. Um, and that doesn't mean we should be resigned to it or just say, oh, well, here it comes. Uh, we do have to resist and we especially have to work for religious liberty. But at the same time, it shouldn't really surprise us. This is, this is our sharing really in the sufferings of Christ when we are persecuted in any way, whether it's just ridicule or 
ostracization or or we're looked at funny because of our beliefs or we're looked upon even worse as uh, you know as hostile to the enlightenment that's happening in the world with uh, a lot of quickly changing morals in the area of, of sexuality or marriage or whatever it might be well and you talk about you know how we you know we're not we're not doormats right we just don't see the train come and stand in the track and just lie down right we are the church militant so we we counter this hatred and this persecution with love but with courage as well right we're not to be there and just lay down and jesus tells us know that if they hated me they're going to hate you too so put on your big boy pants and get going it sounds like exactly right and that's you know courage is such a it, it seems like in today's day and age we talk so little about courage and yet that is the quintessential uh virtue of, of martyrs that's of the persecuted to be able to hold strong in the face of suffering, hold strong in the face of, of danger, of threats, um, that is really what we're called to. And I think that a, a reawakening of these quintessential Christian virtues in the face of difficulty, I think that's something that, that's a great challenge for the Church today and something that will really help us to grow stronger. Well, I think when you read your book, it, it, there, it is encouraging because you do talk about how to uh, counter the persecution, but it, it should embolden us, right? To, to see, okay, this is happening, but, and you, you mentioned, we are here for, on this particular time to do something, right? To, to share the love of Christ, because the love of Christ is what will conquer this. And it, it does remind us, and we're talking about gifts, right? We were sealed with these seven gifts at our confirmation, courage being one of them. And if we don't, actively try to grow in those gifts, then they become, you know, almost like a white elephant that we received at a Christmas party we stuck on a shelf and we ignored. We don't even know what it is. That that is so true. It and and persecution can be like a gymnasium where you're out there working those virtuous muscles and, and and allowing those gifts of the Holy Spirit to take shape, concrete shape in our lives and to become part of who we are and part of the witness that we give to again to our brothers and sisters. And I th- I think you're so right about that. And I and I think that also in particular moments of difficulty uh, you know, God gives us the actual graces, the particular graces we need in those moments to be able to stand firm. Uh, it's it's like uh, when Perpetua and Felicity were were to be gored by, you know, a wild cow, and and uh, it was. Uh, Felicity that was giving birth and she was crying out. And what the jailer said, well, if you're, if you can't take that, imagine what it's going to be like when you're out there in front of the wild cow. And she said, oh no, because right now I'm suffering, but when I'm out there, it'll be Jesus who's suffering in me. Um, and, and this understanding of that uniting of the Christian with Christ in those moments of suffering is something really magnificent. Again, that's part of our, the finest uh, of our great, of our tradition and that, admirable witness of the martyrs. Well, we need to remember martyr means witness. And you talk about, you know, red martyrs and white martyrs. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit, because not all of us will be called to to die for the faith, but that white martyrdom isn't exactly going to be a picnic either. Well, you know, it seems to me, I bet, Deacon, that you've experienced or witnessed the same thing. Um, There seems to be two classes of Christians in in, in the West. I'm thinking now in the the Western world, where there's a, a sort of Christian that's acceptable. 
to the, the modern worldview, where if you go along with certain things, if you're not too pro-life, if you're not too strong on certain moral questions, if you're willing to, to go along and get along, we will like you and we will support you. If you maybe carry a rosary in your pocket, but don't make any demands on people to change or to stand up for the church's teaching, that's great. If you happen to be one of those that takes their faith very, very seriously, where it actually colors every aspect of your life and your beliefs and your actions, then you are not acceptable. And, uh, you know, I just think back a couple of years ago when Amy Coney Barrett was first, you know, just grilled by the Senate Judiciary Committee when she was to be made a circuit court judge before she was named to the Supreme Court. And, and just that, that grilling in a, in a very, it was religious hatred. Uh, Diane Feinstein said to her, you know, the dogma lives loudly in you, we get this sense. And, you know, this idea that serious Catholics and serious Christians are no longer acceptable for public office or for uh, roles in, in, in the state where, you know, we are a Christian nation in the sense that our founding was based on Christian principles. Those who are trying to escape from religious intolerance came to America. And now we see that we've come, you know, really 180 degrees where now the religious persecution is happening within our own society. Which is interesting because even though people came here for religious uh, freedom, it was the Catholics early on who, who were persecuted as well, right? They were treated like second-class citizens for quite a while at the beginning history of our country. And now we have, you know, the FBI with a memo out, you know, targeting the traditional Latin mass Catholics. We have a justice department that, you know, is, uh, you know, locking up pro-lifers and ignoring what's going on at, uh, you know— pregnancy resource centers. It really is eye-opening. And I think your book should make us more keenly aware and sensitive when we see these things to recognize them for what they are. I, I agree with you 100 percent. And I and I'm reminded, you know, some people will say, well, you know, there can't be Christian persecution. It's a Christian nation. And, and Dick Durbin is Catholic and, and Nancy Pelosi's Catholic and Joe Biden's Catholic. And and I think back to St. Paul when he's recounting the dangers he faces and he, when he lists them at one point, he says, and dangers from false brethren. You know, there are also there is a persecution that happens even with those who you bear the name of Christian or bear the name of Catholic, but will use that as a stick to beat their brothers and sisters rather than something to to support them. And sometimes the very, very worst of those uh, who attack serious Catholics are those who claim to be Catholic themselves. Well, that's, I think, makes it even more challenging because you'd like to think, okay, it's us against the world. But then you see when you say Catholic, it's such a broad spectrum and you can easily be attacked within the church, and we see it on a regular basis. So we need to be prepared for being attacked in the church, outside the church, by Catholics, by non-Catholics. But, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've really, the collective we, have become so soft in our faith. You know, we go to Mass on Sunday, that's great. You mentioned it before, you know, let's not rock the boat if we're kind of pro-life or we're kind of, uh, you know, pro-marriage. But if people feel another way, that's fine. And so when you get soft like that, when the heat gets turned up, it's like your muscles have atrophied and you don't know how to fight and you just sit there and whine about it. Well, that's exactly right. And I, I love the fact that you brought up earlier in our conversation that we are the church militant and, and there needs to be a reawakening to what that means. We are not yet the church triumphant. We are not the church suffering. and We are the ones who are called to be in battle. 
And and that's language that people can find a little bit scary or offensive, whatever it might be. But that's St. Paul. That's all through sacred scripture that this is there's a spiritual warfare going on. And this is something that we have to gird our loins and prepare, be prepared for that reality. And I think that persecution does help us to reawaken to that aspect of our Christian faith. It's not all about tree hugging and it's not all about, you know, making daisy chains. It's it's about loving, even when it's really tough to love, and even when loving as Jesus did, did uh, brings us to the cross the way it brought him. And, and this is, you know, a deep central truth of our Catholic faith. Well, it almost, you know, it, the world likes to portray that, you know, if you're faithful, you're weak, but if you're with us, you're strong. And it's exactly the opposite, right? It's the, the screw tape letters, right? It likes, the world likes to twist things and make the truth seem wrong, not the truth and not the truth, the truth. And we need to understand that being faithful and growing in our faith and sharing that in the world, that's what strong people do, not weak people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it takes it takes a lot of strength to hold course when there are so many pressures and so many incentives to not do so. I mean, that that is we come back to that virtue of courage again. It takes great courage. And that's not something we have such an easy life. Again, especially in the West, the world has become very soft and it's become very easy uh, and it's tough to, to, to face that and say, boy, I'm going to have to give up a lot if I want to be really faithful to Jesus. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what it's about. And I don't know if you remember, you know, Cardinal George, rest his soul before he died, talked about this progression of persecution that'll take place from, you know, being made uncomfortable to being in a jail cell to maybe dying for the faith. So his words are, are going to become even more and more prophetic as we go along. And I think it, it matches very closely to what you're talking about in the book. When you say, look, you need to prepare for, for what is to come because it's going to get worse. Yeah, it, it is going to get worse. There's there's just no way that I can look at the realities the way they are, because all the drivers of persecution are getting strong and getting stronger by the day. There, there's no sign of them weakening or that power ebbing. And at the same time, the traditional defenses of Christianity and of religious freedom are getting weaker and weaker. Um, and, it, and it's very, it's kind of sad and it's, it's sometimes scary to look at this reality, but it is what it is. Uh, things will definitely get worse before they get better. And how bad they get, you know, we have no way, at least I have no way of saying. Uh, it was Jesus himself who, who said, you know, when the Son of Man returns, will he find any faith on earth? You know, this he left it in the question form, but we don't know how bad it's going to get. And we don't know how many will capitulate. You look back, you know, at the time of 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 Thomas Beckett, or you, you look at the time even right. a little bit later of, the, of John Fisher and Thomas More. John Fisher was the only bishop in, in the United Kingdom who stood firm with the Catholic faith. All the rest capitulated. Those were prelates. Those were ordained bishops. And, and that's why he stands out as a hero, because he was the only one. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes it's very lonely, I think. And persecution, you know, if everybody's in and everybody's putting their shoulder to it, you know, that, that gives us strength. But sometimes we feel very much isolated and alone and think, you know, am I in the wrong place? You know, am I doing something wrong? Um, and yet we do. We do have the faith of the church. We do have, you know, the whole church, the church triumph and the church uh, the, the sorrowful as well, sorrowing as well. But um you know, it can it can feel lonely. Well, and you have a, a chapter that I enjoyed. It was, uh, you know, haters are going to hate. 
And we just need to come to that realization. That doesn't mean we hate them, right? We we want to help. We want everyone to get to heaven. We know that's not going to happen, but we want everyone to get to heaven. And so we don't need to view these persecutors as our enemy. These are souls that really need to be saved, aren't they? That's a that's an excellent, excellent point, Deacon. Uh, yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. Whether they see us as enemies or not, and they often do, they are not our enemies. They're, you know, our, our enemies, as St. Paul said, that we do battle against powers not of this earth, but but of the principalities and powers of, of you know, the, the, the upper, upper realms of the air, he says, right? These, and this is something that we have to remember. And, and the enemy are bad ideas. The enemy are bad spirits. The enemy are, you know, the, these, but they're not our brothers and sisters, even those who are separated from us, even those who attack us, because we can't will anything for them other than what Jesus wills, which is their salvation. And we have to love them even as they persecute us. Um, and that doesn't, again, mean to give in to their ideas or even to their actions, but it does mean, above all, looking at them as someone who is to be saved. Well, and you talk about, you know, the principalities. We, we need to understand that this is kind of the devil's dominion. And when we deny evil, when we deny that devil exists, it just emboldens him and allows him to, to act, to be more active within the world and, and more and more people succumb to it. Because if you deny something, then boy, that's, that's, that's a recipe for success for him. And you can see the game plan. We just need people to wake up and realize evil exists, but God is greater. And evil can't do anything that God doesn't allow it to do. So we shouldn't be scared because Christ wins the war. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. I mean, that is, the final victory is already won. And we, we need to wake up every morning and remind ourselves, no matter what it looks like on the ground today, and no matter what, you know, bruises and, and, and wounds we take, uh, the final victory is ours, because Jesus already won it. And that, you know, that is, in the end, the source of our real Christian hope, which is, you know, not optimism that everything is going to be just great and we're going to, you know, get through this unscathed. But it is the hope that says, you know, in the end, Jesus has won. And in the end, his victory is, his victory is permanent. Well, if you read scripture at all, the, the reminders are constant, as you just mentioned, right? We're, we're sheep set among wolves, right? But we need to be wiser than serpents. So the Lord has prepared us, but somehow, some, as you mentioned earlier, people want to read scripture, they want to look at Christianity as this big song of kumbaya and everybody's hugging and the Lord's like, hey, it's going to be tough out there. I am preparing you and giving you everything you need to succeed. But at some point, you're going to need to stand up and do this stuff. But it's not from lack of warning, is it? No, it's not from lack of warning. In fact, honestly, when I was writing the, the chapter in particular on uh, Jesus, the persecution he faced, and then the 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 prophecies of persecution for his followers, it just really struck me. I mean, I, I, obviously I'm aware of all these different quotes and the different things, but you put them all together and my gosh, it's overwhelming how often and with what force Jesus repeated, this is, this is your lot. If you follow me, this is what you have to look forward to. And there was just no beating around. I mean, he, everything is crystal clear. There was nothing uh, surprising about it. I mean, it's, it's remarkable that we don't talk more about this, honestly, because it was such a huge part of his message, and especially his message when he was speaking just with the 12, just with those who were following him, 
you know, the more closely, um, that this is going to be, you're going to share in my lot. Well, and I think the reason we don't hear about it is because it is challenging. And, and let's be honest, not all, but way too many clergy have shied away from it because they want people to like them. And this world isn't a popularity contest that the more people that like me, that gets me into heaven. It's, are we doing what we're called to do? And when we are soft and afraid to proclaim difficult messages, then the laity suffer from that. Yes, that is. Amen to that. That is that is so true. And it's hard. And I I think uh, I, I know I struggle with that. I, I'm, ass, I'm assuming, you know, a number of, of, of Christians and Catholics do that. You do want to be liked and you do want to you know, it is easier to give a, a always joyful, upbeat message than one that also really covers the, the tougher aspects. And the, the cross is central. I mean, I, I preach nothing but Christ crucified, Paul says. I mean, that that has to be our message as well. This is, again, it is ultimately an extremely joyful and hopeful message, but it also is a message that entails um, a lot of sharing in that cross. And, it, and it's part of the beauty of the Christian life, but it's it's a beauty that is that is difficult. Well, and I think the other good thing I really liked about the book was you paint the picture, but you have a lot of optimism too, right? How to deal with this, that this can be, you know, it, it all depends on how we view it. So this isn't all doom and gloom. This is kind of like our challenge, and, and the reward is you can't even put into words. This is so true. This is so true. And I, and I think that as Jesus said, you know, and you share in all these things, and you will you will share in eternal life, but also in this world too. And and I think that there are even in the midst of our trials and crosses and these persecutions, there is a joy. It's like uh, when the when the apostles themselves were were beaten and then kicked out of the of the temple, and the Sanhedrin arrested them, and they rejoiced that they were found worthy of suffering for the name. I, I think that's a real joy. It's not just you know something that we kind of paint on. It just it fills us up. And I think that is, again, the Holy Spirit who allows us to experience joy, even at the fact of being allowed, being given the privilege of sharing in some way in Christ's sufferings. And I think that that, you know, that's another aspect of this that we can never lose sight of, that there can be real joy in suffering. Suffer, you know, joy is not just about pleasure. In fact, a lot of times in pleasure, there's, there's not much joy. Uh, and there's joy, there's joy found in situations where we least expect it, because, again, that comes from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's why we, we embrace the, the gift of redemptive suffering. And the Lord reminds us, right, there is no way to Jesus around the cross. You have to go through your cross if you want to get to Jesus. So looking for a tunnel or a way around or over the top isn't going to happen because it's the cross that draws us closer to him. And we're down to about the last, you know, 40 seconds or so. Uh, where can people get the book and kind of and get your other books and find out all the great works you've been doing? Well, oh, thank you, Deacon. Uh, well, it's on Amazon, of course. Again, the title is uh, The Coming Christian Persecution. Um, and my name is Thomas D. Williams. I've also have, I have a website, www.thomasdwilliams.com, which has that book and other books as well. Obviously, you can get it also through the publisher, which is Sophia Institute Press. They do so many great things. And while you're on you know, that website, you'll check out you know, the amazing works that they've got. Um, so lots of different places. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.